everybody. This is Dave Perosic. I'm an education reporter for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and welcome to this podcast. Our topic today is one that has become pretty big this year, and that is distance learning or virtual education, if you prefer. Uh, it's the topic that we're exploring in depth in our Sunday, September 13th edition of the Democrat Gazette, the latest in our ongoing COVID classroom series. Uh, that series started last month and is supported by a grant from the Walton Family Foundation. I have two guests joining me by phone, so let me start by introducing them. Dr. Shea Hopper is an assistant principal at the Springdale School District's Tyson School of Innovation, and she coordinates the Virtual Innovation Academy, the district's virtual school for grades K-12, through which is based at the Tyson School of Innovation. She previously taught in the Fayetteville School District, including time spent working for that district's virtual academy. Also joining us is Amy Johnson. Mrs. Johnson has worked in education for over 20 years and for the last five years has worked for Arkansas Virtual Academy, an online charter school that serves a few thousand students in grades K through 12 across the state. And in 2018, she became head of school at Arkansas Virtual Academy. Thanks to both of you for taking time out of your busy week to join us today. Um, I'd like to start by giving you both a chance to tell us about your respective schools. Just briefly describe who you serve, how many you serve, where you're based, uh, how you're set up. Uh, and Dr. Hopper, would you mind going first? Of course, I'm happy to be here today. Thanks for including me in this opportunity. and nice to have a chance to learn a little bit from Amy as well. So glad to be here to visit this morning. Um, the Virtual Innovation Academy at Don Tyson School of Innovation is part of the Springdale Public School System. And for the past five years, our virtual program has served learners in grades six through 12. And this year we um, opened up our program to include little learners and that includes grades K through five. We currently have 77 staff members who serve virtual learners exclusively. And all of our virtual teachers are Springdale Public Schools teachers. And we do work here at the Don Tyson School of Innovation every day on campus. We do that for a couple different reasons, for consistency in our approach and consistency in our message and outreach to families and to our learners. And then also for the collaborative piece so that our grade level and content area teacher teams can collaborate easily with each other. Um, our sixth through 12th grade learners also have the option to be blended students. And that word has taken on a lot of different meanings in the age of COVID. But in our setting, a blended learner is Marcus. I'm sorry. To come to the West. That's <laughs> okay. I apologize. Sometimes in a school building, we have um, PA announcements <laughs> that interrupt what we so no, no problem. Uh, <laughs> We have blended learners here at our school, and that means they attend on campus two to three days a week, and then they have virtual learning two to three days a week. And that is only for our sixth through 12th grade learners. So um, they do have access to our campus, you know, for their on-site classes, and then they also have access to their virtual teachers here at school if they need to interact with the teacher in a personal or face-to-face -face setting. We have a socially distanced, safely spaced virtual lab area 
where our students who are 6th through 12th grade virtual or blended learners can actually come to school and get support if they choose to. But that is, of course, their decision as a virtual or blended learner. So um, this year we are serving just over 3,000 students in a virtual and blended capacity here at the Virtual Innovation Academy at Don Tyson School of Innovation. And just super excited to have the school year underway and, and getting to know our families and our students and helping them learn how to be virtual students. Great. And Mrs. Johnson, tell us about uh, virtual, Arkansas Virtual Academy. Absolutely. Um, I too am thankful for the opportunity to be here. Um, we uh, have been in virtual education in the state of Arkansas since 2003. Um, ARVA began as uh, Arkansas Virtual School as part of a, a national grant and then moved to an open enrollment uh, public charter um, and became Arkansas Virtual Academy. And so uh, we've been at this thing a little while and uh, it's changed its, um, its delivery method and its support method uh, over all of um, we are currently serving 4,000 students across the state. We have students in all 75 counties of Arkansas. Uh, we are at CAP. We're currently waitlisted and um, seeking an increase in seats because of the interest that uh, we're currently experiencing. Uh, we do serve students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and um, our staff is um, located remotely all across the state. Uh, in, an, in a normal environment, we bring them in once a month um, for that same collaboration that Dr. Hopper talked about that we feel like is very important. But because we do have a uh, nature, we're able to shift that very, um, very easily for this year in order to keep our staff um, in, a, in, a, in a safe um, environment. Um, our students have the opportunity to um, participate in career-ready education. Uh, we have multiple pathways at the high school, about 11 different state-approved career pathways uh, that our students receive um, certification in um, and job-ready skills. Um, we also offer a multitude uh, in, in, a normal, um, in a normal organization of face-to-face -face opportunities for our students, um, family outings, academic uh, opportunities, uh, and we've even launched a community service um, outing that happens um, each quarter for our students to invest into their um, area communities. So um, it's a pretty expansive um, offering, um, basically taking uh, those courses and those experiences that a student would receive in brick and mortar and uh, moving those to an online environment. And for us, um, we have uh, largely, other than an increased interest, of course, uh, we've largely been um, unaffected uh, by the um, current pandemic environment uh, because we were so largely um, virtual. We did not have to um, shut down last spring. We were able to continue education for our students to um, do so without any hiccups at all. Yeah. You mentioned the increase in interest, and I understand there has been quite a, you have had quite a surge in student applications this year. Um, state raised your enrollment cap from 3,000 to 4,000 this summer. And yes. uh, now I understand this, this month you're seeking another increase in your cap to allow up to 5,500 students. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. We're um, 
like I said, we're currently waitlisted um, with uh, just about 200 students on the waitlist, and then we still have right at a thousand applications in queue to process. And um, so the interest is definitely still there and growing. And we're hearing from families right now, especially, you know, the surge at the beginning of the year was um, there was a lot of fear about returning and what that was going to look like. Um, right now, what we're seeing is families that um, their students have been sent home because of quarantine, where they've had some sort of, um, you know, a personal um, contact or experience with the virus and uh, just want to ensure that education, you know, their education experience can move forward smoothly uh, without any disruption. And so uh, we do still see uh, a lot of students that are interested in families that are interested in this, in this model. Has that been a challenge uh, to grow so uh, quickly in such a, a short amount of time? Well, it'd be completely naive of me to say no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think any time a school grows, it's a challenge. Um, you know, we have a staff uh, now of uh, about 165 uh, that we're managing. We are training new teachers. We've hired um, around between 40 and 50 staff um, to, you know, make sure that we're still offering um, the same level of engagement and satisfaction. Our parent satisfaction is up. Um, this year over last, which we think is a huge accomplishment when we've taken on so many um, new students. And, um, you know, we're just working very diligently to onboard teachers, uh, onboard new families, and make sure that everyone has the support they need. But our dedication is to keeping the same um, uh, ratios and the same high level of growth that we saw last year. We've been very um, targeted and focused on increasing our academic um, outcomes for our students. And we saw a huge um, step up in growth for them last year. Teachers were actually sad we didn't get to test because we wanted to see how that translated to um, to the ACT Aspire, but uh, that's been our dedication and that's what we're working diligently to make sure happens for our families. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Hopper, you surely had an interesting summer as well, preparing for the school year. Um, how many, what was it like uh, getting all the, the staff members on board, teachers, how many of your teachers have never, had never taught virtual before, other than maybe when the spring, when all the schools were shut down and um, what's it been like trying to get those teachers, uh, I guess, ready and prepared to do that? And great question, and, and we have a lot of similarities to what Amy shared. Um, we are very fortunate to be part of Springdale Public Schools, where we have tremendous resources available to us for support in transition. Our secondary team, um, the six through 12 teachers, I had 12 who had previously taught virtual school. So that was a huge asset in that they were able to onboard and train our new 6th through 12th grade virtual team members who have joined us. And then our K-5 team, with the exception of two teachers who teach for an organization called VIP Kid, which is an international virtual school organization, our K-5 team is all new to virtual teaching. But we did this summer um, work very hard to reach out and visit with teachers who had a vested interest in making the transition to virtual education and who really wanted to be a part of building our K-5 program for Springdale Public Schools. So we really feel just 
thrilled about the team that has been assembled for K-5. Um, these teachers have stepped up and really taken on leadership roles and have been creative in accessing resources for our families and just have utilized all the tools for outreach and support. So I've just been super impressed in watching them come together as a team. And we are also training and learning and growing every day right along with our families and students. This is certainly a village um, venture this year that we are absolutely all in this together and, and growing and learning together. So I've loved to watch our K-5 team collaborate and come up with just really great ideas and innovation to serve our little learners. Um, all those teachers are new to virtual, so that's been great. And the K-5 virtual program is something that is being built for the long term for Springdale Public Schools. It will be a, continue to be a part of our programming in Springdale Public Schools, just like our 6 through 12 virtual has been for the past five years. And um, we've seen great success with our 6 through 12 program. And we've graduated some awesome virtual seniors and seen them take AP classes and seen them take career and technical ed classes and really just go on in their lives to do awesome things. So we are excited to see our K-5 learners grow up with us and hopefully continue through the program as they move up through the grade levels. But we have spent the summer, you know, preparing programs and putting all the curriculum pieces in place and putting all the ancillary pieces, um, you know, like our counseling team and all of the other pieces you need to serve students. So it has just been, um, it's really, we're learning every day and I've enjoyed it and loved it. I'm grateful for the team that we have and honored to work alongside them. Mm -hmm. I, I want to revisit this past March, April, and May, which for many students across uh, Arkansas, across the country, was their first real experience with virtual education. And for a lot of people, that wasn't the greatest experience. Um, a lot of them came away with I think pretty negative feelings toward it, but um, Dr. Hopper, you and I talked about this last week when we talked. I think you'll agree that was not a good representation of what virtual school can truly be. Well, I would I would say that it was a different representation, not necessarily not good, but just different. And I think you and I touched on this when we did visit before Dave, but. Um, AMI was a response to an emergency, and none of us in the whole education world or anywhere in the general world knew what we were approaching with COVID coming our way. So um, I commend our teachers and our school districts, all of our schools and school districts in Arkansas and across the country for basically literally overnight responding to an emergency. Very unexpected, very unplanned, very unknown, unsettling unsettling for us as adults with our own families um, and unsettling as professional educators. But I equate it to, I grew up in Southeast Texas and we frequently had hurricanes and flooding that had to be dealt with. And, you know, we had heard about the pandemic, we had heard about COVID, but we really didn't know quite the severity of what was coming towards us, much like when a hurricane is coming. You don't really know what's going to happen until it literally makes landfall and hits you. And uh, after a hurricane, the Red Cross comes in, FEMA comes in, the National Guard comes in, and they provide services to support citizens and make sure they're healthy and have clean water and have shelter and transportation until they can recover from the storm. And I view AMI as a similar scenario to that. We were hit with the COVID hurricane, 
and teachers and administrators and school districts and families responded in the best way that we could to that emergency. And so virtual school in and of itself, whether that's ARVA or Connections or a public school virtual program is different. It is front-loaded and pre-designed and established to maintain. And it was mentioned earlier in this conversation that virtual school and virtual students who were already enrolled in our virtual learning programs were largely unaffected by AMI. And, and I agree with that completely. Our virtual students last year um, maybe didn't even realize it was AMI because nothing really changed for them. They continued along their virtual learning path just as they had prior to COVID arriving and schools closing. So it's just that it's a different designed program and each program had a different purpose. And so um, just a little bit different intent and initial outset of those programs. So I think everyone did the absolute best they could above and beyond responding in the AMI situation. But virtual is just designed for a different reason and it's designed to function on a different platform. So that's how those two situations differ, you know, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for both of you, what would you call the key to good virtual education? Uh, Mrs. Johnson, would you like to start? Sure. Uh, I think the keys to good virtual education are rooted um, in the same things of any quality education. And, and for us, um, it's rooted in relationships, which um, oddly enough is the one thing that gets criticized about the virtual education the most. Uh, relationships aren't impossible in virtual education. In fact, sometimes they're stronger in virtual education uh, because of um, the platform modes of communication, some of those barriers um, are sort of removed. Um, so, you know, definitely building relationships with students, understanding where students are. I think that's an advantage that we have in virtual education is that we can really um, instruct the individual, get to know the individual and um, create that um, sort of very personal pathway uh, for students. So uh, for us, that's, that's very key, is making sure that we are seeing each student uniquely and developing plans and opportunities for them with that in mind. Um, and then, you know, definitely, uh, I think one of the things, and I'm sure, you know, Dr. Burt has seen this as well, is just the understanding that Virtual education is not sitting in front of a computer for six hours a day in, in the exact same way that you would sit in a classroom. Um, you know, having the, um, the creativity and the innovation to adopt um, and adjust alternate um, formats and pathways, again, back to that personalization. Our kids come to us for very specific reasons. And when we don't, um, when we don't acknowledge that, we, we miss the mark of why we exist. And so I think for us, that is, is the biggest key, is really seeing the student behind the screen and knowing who they are and what they need and how we can um, best advance them in their life goals. And I couldn't agree more with what Ms. Johnson said, all of it actually, that was an awesome answer. Um, 
being a successful virtual school or a successful virtual teacher or learner, the biggest piece is communication, 100% outreach, relationship building. Um, and a lot of people have a misconception about that, about virtual learning, like it is sitting behind a computer six hours a day. And that actually couldn't be further from the truth. The device on which the students' classes and content is delivered is merely one tool in a virtual learner's toolbox. Um, like Ms. Johnson said, a lot of our learners come to us for very specific reasons. They might have a full-time job. They might have a family who travels. They might participate in a certain extracurricular activity that is very demanding on their time. Um, so they need flexibility in their learning and they need to be able to have a varied schedule that does not meet the traditional school day hours. So being a virtual teacher and being an awesome communicator and really making the effort to reach out and build those relationships is the first and most important key. Um, all of us who work at the Virtual Innovation Academy are certified Springdale Public Schools, highly qualified educators. So I feel confident that we know our content and our curriculum. But when I seek a virtual teacher, I want someone who is a very good communicator and willing to go the extra distance to build that relationship with a learner who is not physically in front of him or her. And I also want a virtual teacher who is an excellent teammate and team member. I want virtual teachers who are sometimes leaders, sometimes followers, but are always contributors and are always willing to put in the work to reach their students because that relationship piece um, is just so important. And you're not only getting to know the virtual student, you're really getting to know their whole family and you are all really working together. So whoever their learning coach is at home, whether that's mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle, or maybe even a neighbor, um, you are working closely with that other adult and you are communicating with them a great deal. So that communication and relationship piece and just that support um, and that flexibility in why that student is virtual and why they sought the opportunity for virtual education is critical. Mm -hmm. And so what challenges do you face in virtual that uh, most teachers, uh, administrators in traditional schools don't normally deal with? Um, Mrs. Johnson, do you want to start with that? Well, um, I don't know that it's that much different than what um, would be experienced in a brick and mortar school. But for us, um, it is just the challenge that is ever present to engage the unengaged. Um, and I think that exists everywhere. Um, but it but it does pose a challenge. You know, we've talked about building these relationships. It does pose a challenge when um, you have a student that's virtual, that's not engaged. That's um, that's a big lift. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, but it does require very specific support plans and very specific steps and, um, you know, remediations for those students to ensure that we're helping them understand. Um, you know, I think uh, most of us didn't understand the choices we were making when we were 15 year old kids. Um, and we're probably all very glad that we don't um, have those choices in front of us every day as adults, right? So, um, we often have students that um, are making decisions that they're not aware of the long-term impact. So some of the social emotional learning is very key for us, how we support students. Um, our students all have advisors that 
are their first point of contact that check up on them regularly and um, just ensure that they're staying engaged, that they have their their eye on the prize for where they're headed. Um, but, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily um, unique to virtual learning. Mm-hmm. I think probably a problem in all schools, uh, but it does take on a unique aspect when you're uh, working to create that engagement virtually. So it's definitely something that we build robust plans around. Uh, we provide, you know, Dr. Hopper mentioned for the families, we provide supports for our families in the same way that she discussed. And I, and I think that's a, that was a great point that um, the family, the whole family really becomes involved in this process. And so, um, you know, just really keeping your eye on making sure that no student is hiding and that no student um, is uh, sort of left, um, to, you know, to be unseen is a huge key and something that we have to monitor continually. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Harper, anything to add to that? Um, I'll, I'll agree with that as well, making sure that our students are actively engaged and that they are demonstrating growth in their learning. Um, but that, that again is a face-to-face concern as well. Um, oh. And also making sure that all of our students are receiving all the services and supports they need and just as they would if they were face-to-face learners. So especially this year with an increase in enrollment, um, just ensuring that we are reaching every student, that we are communicating with them and providing them the supports and services they need to achieve all their opportunities and goals and be super successful. But definitely agree that just engagement and support, but again, those are, those are the same type of challenges you face in a face-to-face setting. Mm-hmm. Is it harder to engage those very young ones, uh, kindergarten, first grade, in uh, and be successful uh, reaching them through virtual? Uh, I'm I'm curious about how you know the the different uh, whether the approach to those very young ones is is different um, because their attention span is. Uh, a little bit shorter and, and maybe they don't, uh, uh, you know, pay attention to the screen as well. Um, can you talk about that? Sure. Um, it's been kind of a really awesome experience for me to watch our little learners engage. And I would say <laughs> sometimes um, our kindergarten and first and second grade are a little more enthusiastic than mm. our big kids. Um, they get up a little bit earlier and they're super excited and ready to go and ready to learn. Um, we work very hard at the beginning. Um, our first two weeks of school are really virtual school are really kind of onboarding weeks where we get all the families acclimated with the learning process and with the learning management systems. But we also help them work on a schedule. The teachers help the families build a schedule for their little learners. And for our K-1-2 and really even 3-4-5, but especially for K-1-2, you know, they might work on a lesson for 20 minutes on the computer and then they take a break outside or they take a break to play with their pet or play with their sibling or they might have a snack um, and then they come back and work for 20 or 30 more minutes. So that is very intentionally chunked about how their time works. And our teachers do not dictate that schedule For every family, they certainly provide guidance on how to build a schedule. And we do expect that all of our families, K-5 for sure, and certainly encouraged in 612, 
but that they do have a learning schedule in the home that is conducive to their particular student as well as their family schedule. We have families who work all different hours of the day and different shifts. So we wanna make sure that students are properly supervised, that the learning coach is there and involved. And that's a communication piece with the teacher. So those first two weeks of school, we work a lot to establish what that schedule will look like and make sure that we know when the learning coach you know, is present or when there might be two learning coaches involved. But that scheduling is really important because we certainly don't want a K through five learner on a device you know, for extended periods of time. Our K-5 learners still receive virtual PE and art and music, and we want them to go outside, and we want them to do fun things and things that are not on the device. That is all built in and part of their learning. So that scheduling piece and that communication piece with families about how to structure their day while they are at home as virtual learners is also a very critical piece on the front-loading and onboarding portion of getting school up and going. So um, their engagement is great. It just looks different than an 11th or 12th grader. Also in our particular setting, our sixth through 12th graders, they learn on an asynchronous schedule. So they do not have required synchronous sessions on a regular basis. Um, they have optional synchronous sessions or scheduled sessions where they can meet with their teacher. And like I said, they have access to our face-to-face -face campus as well if they schedule a time with their teacher. But they operate on an asynchronous model because, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of them have jobs, they travel, they have specific out-of-school activities that, that involve their time a great deal. But our K-5 learners do have scheduled synchronous sessions with their teachers. And they get super excited about that. I've gotten to sit in on a couple Zooms in our K-5 grades and see them and their sweet faces and they're just jumping up and down and they're clapping and they're so excited. So I'd love to see that. But um, those two models are designed a little bit differently um, because of the nature of their learning. But our K-5 learners do have those structured sessions with their teachers and that's that's been just tremendous as far as their engagement. This is John. I think that's that's spot on. Um, the enthusiasm that um, younger students have is really unparalleled. And so um, you know, really being able to take advantage of that and build into that is key for us. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that's really important is the relationship with that learning coach, with the adult that is um, assisting those younger students. And we really try to, um, it, it sort of becomes a, an environment where not only are we um, teaching the students, but we're also training the adults in their lives. Um, so we actually hold sessions for our learning coaches. Uh, we talk to them about struggles that they might see their students have, how to handle those um, if they're trying to help their students with work. Uh, you often hear parents talk about how they don't understand um, the way things are taught um, now compared to when they were in school. And so we try to support our learning coaches, um, whoever that may be in our students' lives, uh, just as much as we do our students, because we know that those uh, K2 and 3-5 years are very, very important. Um, if they don't have the foundation there, it sets a very, research tells us, it sets a very a stark direction for their success in their life school. And so we try to make sure that we provide that wraparound for the parent as well. Um, very, very much like Dr. Hopper said, we do not have students in sessions with teachers' eyes on them for six hours straight a day. We don't want that, in fact, for those younger students, as she mentioned. 
So we have to ensure that we're also equipping uh, that adult in their life to ensure, um, you know, not only the scheduling pieces like um, Dr. Hopper mentioned, which was spot on, but also how do we equip them to know how to handle the rough spots? If a student doesn't really feel like working that day, what do you do? Uh, if they run up against a concept that maybe is a little bit more difficult, what are some steps you can take to help them through um, that particular coursework? So um, I think for us, building the relationships with the learning coaches, especially in grades K-2, but um, through 3-5 as well, uh, you know, we just really reach out and try to um, create those relationships and those um, assistance techniques as much as we can in order to ensure that student success. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. And one of the big concerns statewide um, and nationwide, really, is the digital divide, uh, access to the Internet, access to the technology that students need to uh, participate in virtual learning. Uh, can you talk to me about what your schools do to accommodate those who have issues connecting to the Internet or, uh, or who lack uh, uh, a laptop or, or some, you know, the necessary technology. Uh, Dr. Hopper, do you want to start? Sure. Um, Springdale is a one-to-one -one district, and so all of our students have, well, they have the choice. They're not required, but um, they have the choice to check out a device from Springdale Public Schools. So all of our virtual learners have access to an actual device, and then um, if there is a concern about appropriate internet access to deliver our content and curriculum and be able to regularly communicate with teachers, um, Cox has been great, AT&T has been great about providing support programs to families that need assistance with internet. And then within our district, we have resources through our technology department that can also provide access to families. So um, that's part of that summertime process and that onboarding process to make sure that everybody has a device and then that they have the appropriate internet access that they need. Yeah, so at Arvitz, uh, fairly similar, although our, our students are um, spread across the state, so that is a, a little bit of a different challenge for us. Uh, our family um, free and reduced lunch demographic is typically about 60, 67 to 70% free and reduced lunch count. So um, it is it, it is definitely um, an issue, and it is one we should be talking about. Um, what we do to offset that, we do have um, hotspot offerings that we utilize, especially with our free and reduced lunch families. We do offer um, laptops for families that need those um, to ensure that they have the devices that they need. We do an internet, a yearly internet stipend to help offset the cost of internet. And uh, then we also are in um, close communication with our families if they have any access issues uh, and uh, maybe they can't afford internet or maybe they don't have good internet service where they are. Um, we have a family resource counselor who works with um, the different communities um, to help families locate um, any resources they may need beyond what we can offer to ensure that they have the access that, um, that is needed. So. It is, a, it is definitely an issue, um, especially in our state, especially in the more rural areas that we serve. And, um, you know, uh, with the challenge of serving students in, in all counties of the state, uh, the resources that are available are, are varied. So we do try to track that, um, anything that might be needed beyond 
what we already provide uh, our students, you know, as a, as a school. So for the most part, we're able to bridge those, uh, but it does take a pretty concentrated effort. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, you both have been wonderful to talk to, and, and you've both been very informative. Uh, before we wrap up, do either of you have anything else that you want to say on this topic? Um, I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to share information about, you know, the reality and the actuality of virtual learning. I think we touched on it at the beginning of the conversation. There are, you know, a lot of misunderstandings or misconceptions about what virtual learning should be. And I think in 2020, um, it's a great resource and a great option for a lot of students in our community, in our state. Um, I'm I'm super grateful that students in Arkansas have lots of options and lots of choices. Um, I think it's great that we have ARVA. I think it's great that a lot of our school districts offer, you know, wonderful virtual opportunities. So I'm just grateful in a world that presents us tremendous challenges just every day, day in and day out, that our state and our communities and our school districts are just working so hard to provide options and choices for our families and our students. We have wonderful traditional education settings. We have wonderful career and technical education settings. We have awesome virtual options. Um, We have awesome advanced options for our students. So, you know, I'm just really proud to live and work in a community in a state that is doing everything it can to serve our learners and their families and that we have all of these choices for our students. And I think there's a place for every student to succeed with their learning, whether that's face-to-face or blended or virtual or in a traditional setting or just wherever. So I just, I love being part of an education movement that is changing and that we are working to serve and reach our students where they are and work with their families. And so I'm grateful you gave us the opportunity to share a little bit more about our particular pathway um, so that families can make informed choices about how to educate their students. So thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. And and I would just add to that as well. Um, We agree totally, Dr. Hopper. We have such a great environment here in Arkansas with so many um, wonderful options for our students. Um, And I would just I would just encourage educators to remember that we're all on the same team. Um, It's not about what a student chooses, but that they have choices. And um, the fact that we all need to be working together and collaborating for the success of Arkansas students. Um, When I look across the state at all the wonderful options, as Dr. Hopper mentioned, um, I see my students, even if they don't go to ARVA, (laughs) they're still my students, they're Arkansas students. And so uh, we all have ownership in how they succeed. And uh, we've we've worked diligently to try to be available to um, brick and mortar schools who are trying to bridge the gap to virtual education in light of all that's happening in our world. And uh, we just want to continue to do that, to be a partner. Um, The way we do things may not fit for every virtual um, environment and every virtual, um, you know, sort of structure. But when we collaborate together and we listen to what each of us are bringing to the table as best practices, uh, we all learn and and can grow stronger from that. So um, I, was thrilled to be able to be on the call today with Dr. Hopper and hear more about um, what's happening at Springdale and and uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm excited that there's a lot of things we're doing that are the same, but I would venture that there's a lot of things we do that are different as well. And we can learn from that. So uh, I think, you know, whatever we can do um, as, as a school at, at ARVA, we want to do our part, whether it's helping a local district, um, whether it's collaborating with teachers, helping teachers understand that virtual environment, uh, we want to be a partner in uh, the success of Arkansas students. All right. Well, thanks again to both of you. I want to, uh, again, note that the Democratic Gazette series, COVID Classroom, continues Sunday, September 13th. The focus this week, distance learning, as we continue to take a hard look at all the impacts this pandemic has had on education. Um, so thank you, Amy Johnson and Shay Hopper, for lending your insight to this discussion today. This uh, uh, has been a pleasure. Uh, I'm Dave Perosic. Thank you for listening. Take good care of yourselves, and good luck, everybody, on the rest of the school year. Thank you so much, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye, Ms. Johnson. Bye-bye.